0: This uh, past November and December when I was in Berlin for part of my sabbatical, in addition to teaching rabbinical students, I occasionally was asked to take part in some teaching and community programs. One of these invitations came to me in June. In other words, way before it was actually going to take place. I said, sure, I'm happy to do the program, which only proves the rule in fact that you'll always agree to do something as long as it's far in the future. I remember, in fact, agreeing to do a destination wedding in a really distant location. It was quite a schlep. I agreed to do it because they had asked me a year in advance. They were also students of mine. Anyways, after hours on a plane and more hours in an airport and then even more hours in a car, to get to the location, I tried to ask the driver if we could take a washroom break. The problem was he didn't speak any English. So he just smiled and kept giving me the thumbs up. And so I wondered to myself, how did I get into this position? And then I answered. They asked me way in advance. Because somehow, as you put it into your calendar, you never imagine it's actually going to happen. Anyways, back in Germany, what I agreed to in June came to fruition in December I was getting some emails from the organizer asking me what the the title of the program should be. And I didn't really have a topic, but I told them not to worry because there's always one topic. No matter what is happening, no matter what time it may be, you can always use it. And what is it, they asked. And I told them, Judaism at the crossroads. But the truth of the matter is, That is not the only topic that works in all places at all times. You can swap Judaism for Israel. Now, I actually wanted to talk about something very different this morning. But then Donald Trump and Bibi Netanyahu did that whole White House and peace in the Middle East thing. And so here it is. Israel at the crossroads. Now, for those of you who follow such things will know that this isn't the first time we've seen Israel at the crossroads. There were those fragile moments just after Israel's independence, when they weren't sure if the Arab armies would actually attack, which they did. And then in 1967, when Israel floated the idea of returning large swaths of captured land in exchange for peace agreements with Egypt, Syria, Jordan, and Lebanon, which they didn't agree to. And then in 1978, with the Camp David, peace agreements between Israel and Egypt, leaving everyone to wonder if the other Arab countries would follow suit. They didn't. And then there were the Oslo Accords, which hoped for a final peace agreement with the Palestinians. It wasn't. Then the Gaza withdrawal of 2006, hoping that just by giving back land that it would secure coexistence. It didn't. Which is all to say that there's been lots of crossroads which never delivered anything near what they trumpeted to produce. And yet that's not an argument for either trying or hoping. It is a reflection of how broken our perceptions are of the issue. So I'll put it to you this way. Most people, if asked, what the most critical issue facing Israel today, most would say terrorism. Terrorism. It's why when and if you plan a trip to Israel, inevitably someone will say to you, are you nervous to go? Little do they know that Jerusalem, yes, Jerusalem, had 27 murders last year. In the whole city. Toronto had that in the first four months last year. You want to visit a dangerous city? Sometimes watching CP24 on a Sunday morning, I get the sense I'm living in one. Now if you were to ask most North American Jews what the critical issue facing Israel today is, I would venture that more than 90% would say the Palestinian issue. And if you ask Israelis, they would say in descending order, Iran, the cost of housing and butter, that's a long story. And elections, which begs the question, who's right? Watching the news on Tuesday, you would believe that the Palestinian issue was front and center as the item that was most threatening to Israel. Otherwise, why would an American president and an Israeli prime minister spend so much time and political capital on it? And the answer is, of course, a lot more complicated than CBC or CNN would ever want you to know. The conflict that Israel faces today are not from Egypt or Jordan, they have peace agreements with them or with Saudi Arabia, who just announced last week that Israeli passport holders are for the first time allowed to visit the Kingdom for either business or religious reasons. Or they don't have any problems with the Emirates, but it is with Hamas and Hezbollah. In truth, both organizations are supported by Iran, directed as proxy armies with money and munitions. Iran is producing uranium to build nuclear bombs at an alarming rate with a publicly stated intention that they're doing so in order to destroy Israel. So when Israelis say that Iran is the existential threat, they know what they're speaking about. Hezbollah occupies all of southern Lebanon and commands a force of not only armed soldiers and tanks, but of tens of thousands of missiles. They are 100 kilometers from Tel Aviv and a missile flight of less than a minute. Hamas is Hezbollah's poorer cousin down south in Gaza. They pose the same threat, but with fewer resources to build missiles because Egypt closed its border with Gaza and Israel closed its port. Iran's threatening behavior to its Arab neighbors is also the reason why Israel has... An unprecedented unprecedented relationships with the Sunni Muslim world. So ask Israelis today what the military threat they fear the most, and it is Iran, not the bordering Arab countries or its Palestinian neighbors. And the reason why an American president and an Israeli prime minister spent the time and political capital on a deal of the century to bring peace to a situation that isn't the most urgent situation, needing attention, and has no buy-in with the Palestinians, has to do with the fact that the President is under impeachment and the Prime Minister just had three indictments for fraud, bribery, and breach of public trust delivered to a district court in Jerusalem for prosecution by the Israeli Attorney General. The calendar also tells us that there's an American presidential election in nine months, an Israeli election in five weeks. President Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu are playing to their bases. Because over the years, you have listened and watched meanderingly and promisingly and even dreamingly. By now, you've hopefully sensed that the picture there carries a more complicated reality. You must know that the situation there just can't be the cartoon caricature the Western media portrays it to be. And I'm going to tell you what that picture is. In Israel, what is the right wing, it used to be fueled by religious messianism to settle the West Bank. And what was the left wing used to be fueled by people who wanted a peace agreement with an independent Palestinian state. Today, Israel's right wing is a political bloc that speaks about security, and the left wing is a political bloc that speaks about security. Where they differ is what they each believe will deliver lasting security to Israel. The left says immediate disengagement and a settlement freeze from all Palestinian territories, and the right argues that it must maintain military control to avoid happening in the West Bank with what happened in Gaza. And for the majority of Israelis who live in the political middle, they naturally want both. They want separation and control. They don't want their sons and daughters manning checkpoints, and they want the army to enter to where it needs to, to defuse terror cells, to disrupt missile-building factories, and to ensure general calm. They want Palestinians to be able to enter Israel for work not because them earning salaries provide stability and a desire for peace with Israel, but because the Palestinians are the skilled backbone of the construction industry in Israel. Nothing gets built in Israel without the stone workers, carpenters, plumbers, and electricians from the West Bank and Gaza during and after the Second Intifada, when the borders with the Palestinian territories were severely locked down, Israel looked to give visas to Southeast Asian laborers in the hope that they would fill the shortage of construction workers. They were good, but not nearly as good as the Palestinians. When you look at Tel Aviv's stunning skyline, you know they're that good. The Palestinians want their jobs. The income provides the ability for them to pay for their mortgages, send their children to school, It gives them access to Israeli medicine and provides a promise of what more could be. And when we talk about people crossing into Israel to work, understand that the largest and busiest border, Kalandia, is under 20 kilometers from Tel Aviv. In other words, the border crossing is closer to Tel Aviv than Pearson Airport is to us. The country is that small. Of course, in the bigger picture, it's not just about jobs or school or money. People have aspirations, even national ones, of autonomy and political emancipation. But the one consistent error that people outside of the area, that being us, the one consistent error that they make about the conflict with the Palestinians, is that they think that it is about land. And it is about land. But it is more about attitude and acceptance. The Palestinians are never going to accept the deal of the century that doesn't see something larger for their picture and their future. Which in the end exposes the mistake that most people who don't live in Israel make when this issue is discussed. Big steps and large agreements will fail because this issue requires time add small verifiable steps to build the trust in reality to then to take more small verifiable steps where then only in hindsight do we get a sense of how far we've come. It's a process that will be built upon the lives and backs of everyday people and not on the pen swipes of politicians. But the people who live there know this. Israeli polls taken after the White House announcement showed no change in the voting public support for Bibi Netanyahu because they're exhausted of politicians papering what could be. When we say we're at the crossroads, sometimes I think about that line from Woody Allen who said, more than any other time in history, humanity faces a crossroads, he said. One path leads to despair and hopelessness, the other to anguish and pain. Let us pray we have the wisdom to choose correctly. Which is to say, we look at the successes of the past and we feel satisfied and blessed. Look, we say, how Israel has climbed out of the ashes of the Shoah to build a country, a people, and a language. And then we say that the future is filled with anxiety. Yes, we've done a lot of great things, but we face great challenges. Which is also to say that the past is wonderful and tomorrow could be bad. But what occurred to me as I looked at the Torah reading for this morning is that the Torah is never about the past. Yes, it is a record of the past, but it never speaks about the past. It talks only of what will be. The Torah says, I brought you out of Egypt in order that you could do this. It speaks to a nation of slaves and tells them that you will be set free. It tells them that you have will have your own land. It tells them that when they enter into this land, they'll be obligated with laws about farming and demanded that they observe a sabbatical in jubilee years when the land isn't to be tilled, leaving the corners of the field unharvested for the poor to collect them for themselves. And this people that Moses is talking to is a people who never farmed a day in their life. They were brickmakers and pyramid builders And then they would be destined to wander a desert. But it is because Moses knew that one day, one day they will harvest. Not because he believed in the past, but because he had faith in the future. And he doesn't say that everything up to now has been miraculous and everything in the future will be a challenge. But because Moses knows that when we talk about miracles, we don't only talk about the past. We also talk about the future. If Israel has taught us anything, as Jews, it is just how right Moses was. We are at a crossroad, but the path ahead of us is bountiful, hopeful, and of course, full of miracles. Shabbat Shalom.